Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Uh, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 21. Now, uh, I know that that might sound familiar to you if you were here last week. Uh, I decided to revisit this latter part of the passage one more time. And uh, I'm excited because we uh, need to hear and understand and take this part of this passage into our understanding of the Christian faith. And, I, and I'm hopeful that I can uh, help us see how important this is and how we should factor this into our lives. Um, As we look at this verse, I'm camping on verse 17 in in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And it has to do with that whole little phrase, uh, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Uh, I think that we hear a lot about the good news of the gospel and how how positive it is and and it it, it is all of those things. But I I wanted to come back and camp on this because it is uh, remember uh, last week in verses thirteen through twenty one there are three imperatives. One is uh, to uh, to set your hope on the coming of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus. The second is to be holy. And this last one was uh, more difficult and surprising, I think. And that was to live in fear. In the, new, in the NIV, it's translated reverent fear. Uh, but I wanted to return to this as... Uh, because I think it's important that we understand its significance and how is it that we live in fear when we believe in the grace of the gospel. I want us to tease out where does fear fit in. If I receive grace and forgiveness from all my sins, past, present, and future, my eternal destiny is secured, then what does, how does fear play in that situation? And I think it's an important thing for us. Uh, sometimes I've, I've heard and experienced people who have uh, had a great day in their lives and they maybe got up in the morning and maybe just before the alarm clock went off and they were filled with joy and they were looking forward to the day and they went had a quiet time with God and reading the word and praying and real worship and celebration and went to work and things just fell together. The people they work with, the the obligations just came together and and they were able just to kind of overflow the joy of God in their life. And they even end up talking to someone at the end of the day about how their life is filled with joy and you had an opportunity to tell somebody about coming to church or sitting under the word of God and having time of prayer in the morning and 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 you're just filled with joy and then another day comes and the other day is the opposite 
your alarm goes off and you roll over and hit it and you go back to sleep and then you finally do wake up just before you're supposed to be at work and you're rushing out of the house and you don't do a quiet time you don't spend any time with God in prayer you hardly eat anything and you get in the car and you're trying to speed up and make up for lost time and get a ticket on the way to work I mean there are all kinds of things that can happen and you get to work And you realize that everything about what you're working on, as you're trying to honor God in your work, everything is difficult. Everything is a challenge. People are more irritable. They're not willing to help you out. And all of this kind of happens in your life. And then you think, wow, somebody's... I see a group of people at work talking about church. Should I go over there and get involved? Well, this is kind of a lousy day. I don't think I have God's blessings on my life to do that kind of thing. I think we as Christians can get into that trap. And it's a natural thing. It's a performance trap. It's something that is pervasive in our world, in our day. And that it seeps into our relationship with God. We think about our performance. And... One thing that we have to do is be careful when you read a passage of Scripture like we're reading. Live your life in fear. What does that mean? Well, first I want to just look at this passage a little closer. Let's look at verse 17 and 18. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed. Now in the Bible there is a period there, but uh, I think that it's better to drop that period and see that that uh, phrase... That comes right after. Uh, For you know that you were redeemed. Not with perishable things, but with imperishable things. That 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 phrase really connects itself with that previous verse. And it's better to translate it as kind of a qualifier to that fear. And what Peter is arguing is that at the same time as we live in fear we also realize the, the redemption of Jesus Christ and that we are purchased, that we are made His. And he goes on in verses 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 to describe the magnitude of that grace. But when we look at this, we go back to that fear and I think we're naturally prone to think of performance. It reminds me of a, a, a statue... That was carved years ago. It's an old one. It's a man coming out of a rock. And, uh, but you, you should see that what's in his hand is a chisel. And so he's forming himself. He's what is called the self-made man. Now, I know that that looks like an old statue, but, you know, in our day, we're kind of into exercise and making ourselves fit. So there's an adaptation to that for men and women uh, being a self-made person. Um, What the question I want to raise as we think about this fear is, is it true that 
part of the gospel is our required response. And isn't that really calling us to be performing well? And is this fear related to our performance? Now, I I can't promise you an absolute definitive answer to this. I'm going to give you my take on it the best that I can. I read a lot of books on it, trying to look at commentaries and things, trying to figure out how is it that this fear stands right next to the the description of the grace of God. I think it's very practical because I've had so many situations in, in counseling situations, and sometimes it's with people who are struggling with a specific sin, a besetting sin, and it's happening over and over and over again. And I've had that kind of same struggle myself. And so what happens is, is the person gets to feel like they're a constant failure, that they're never getting out of that trap, and therefore they recognize how righteous and pure God is, and they begin to say, I'm, all I have in front of me is judgment. I'm, I'm losing hope. And, and sometimes when we hear that, be, live your life in fear, we might get to the place where we think, well, it's just, I'm losing hope. What, I, what we need to say in that situation is that you can come to God each and every time and ask for forgiveness. You can come with the realization that God has called you to be different and that He's at work in you. And even though you fail over and over and over again, each time He is faithful to forgive you. We remember the illustration or the conversation that Peter, Peter himself, had with Jesus about forgiveness. And he came and asked Jesus, well, hey, Jesus, do you think we should forgive somebody who offends us seven times? And he thought he was, you know, kind of way up the chart. And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And if Jesus is saying that, that's really kind of endless. It's as, as large a number as you can make. If Jesus is saying that, that we are to forgive over and over and over, then we can be assured that God forgives over and over and over, even our own sin. So how does fear fit in there? The other uh, problem or ditch I think we fall into is, and I've talked to several people in years past about this as well, where they want to do something. They want to enter into some particular sin, some particular lifestyle that is outside the bounds of Scripture. And maybe they've desired not to do that, but... It's just not the longing of their heart. And they began to say, well, I live in the grace of God. And because God is good and because God is gracious, I know that He wants the desires of my heart and He's for me, so He will provide the grace for me. Well, in that situation, I might want to go to this text, right? I might go to, to uh, Galatians. It says, uh, do, uh, God will not be mocked. That which you sow, you shall also reap. And it kind of reflects this passage in verse 17. Our Father who judges each person impartially. 
So how are we to put this together? How are we to understand this? And I'm hoping that I can help us kind of understand this because we absolutely celebrate the gospel. We absolutely realize that we can't earn our way into salvation, that we can't uh, kind of make our way into heaven by our good works or our performance, and we need to be carried and lifted up. But then at the same time, we're told about this fear. How do those fit together? So let's read verses 17 through 21. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. It's a long description there of the glory and wonder of God's work in redeeming and saving a people for himself. And that is precious. But what about the fear? As we look at this passage, I think first we should recognize The fear of God acknowledges God's high standards. So Peter's writing to these people and encouraging them to stay faithful in the, the difficulties of their life setting and reminding them of the wonder of the gospel. But he's also reminding them that God is impartial in his judgment and that God's high standards are still God's high standards. He's not moving them around. And so, therefore, we are invited into a life with a holy and righteous God. And our lives must be reflecting of those high standards. I think of Jesus' words in John chapter 15 when he is giving instruction about bearing fruit. And I'd like to just uh, read verses 1 through 6 for us. I'm realizing that I use the Bible on my phone too often. I can't get through the pages as quickly as I used to on my my paper Bible. (laughs) Verses 1 through 6 in John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I am also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. There is a high standard. This is not just giving us grace without 
repentance, giving us grace without faith, giving us grace without transformation, there is to be something significantly different about us in our lives as believers. And it's, it's a part of God's grace. Because the things that are to be significantly different are the good things of life that God wants us to live in. The problem is, is that we are sinners, we are broken, and we tend to muddle in the mud and not move towards the beauty of the transformation. But that is the process we are called into. In addition to the teaching about bearing fruit is the profound teaching in Romans chapter 8 which teaches us that believers live now not according to the law but according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus is to enter into our lives and give life to our mortal bodies that are dead because of sin. But this spirit, this spirit is alive because of righteousness and it is at work transforming us. So we make a mistake when we think Christianity is all about just getting converted. It's about getting converted and living a life. And that's what Peter is concerned that the first century Gentiles understand as they're following Christ. As he's telling about the wonder and glory of the gospel that this is a lifestyle that brings life to us. Because God designed it, he's planned it, he's purposed it. And we can find the greatest joy in that life. But there is this element of fear because it's not just that we will automatically walk in it. There is an obligation and God's going to actually judge impartially and hold us to account. And so there is a responsibility that's not just kind of, as I said, optional. And we get this from many scriptures from the New Testament. I I get challenged myself. Reading Romans 14, 12, and 13. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in a brother or sister's way. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 13. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. So the gospel is not just believe and get in and wait to go to heaven no the gospel is a life of following jesus it is a life of being a disciple it is a life of learning to walk with jesus and to be transformed by jesus and that is life so we should long for it And God will one day hold us accountable. So Peter says, even live your life in this world as exiles with reverent fear. 
Because there is a day when God will hold us to account. I think of 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and the spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. For God's going to ask us how it's going. But second, the fear of God must also acknowledge God's provisions of grace. So this is where it gets a little tricky because we believe that God gives us salvation and forgives us of sins, past, present, and future. I think uh, I've heard that People oftentimes think of grace as something that just makes up the difference between my effort and and getting to heaven. It's like we all run to the Grand Canyon and jump as far as we can. And uh, and before we go down, uh, the the grace of God grabs us and picks us up and sets us on the other side. So we give the best effort we can, and then he comes and takes us the rest of the way. Well, that's not the understanding of grace. We believe that we are empty. We have nothing to offer. It reminds me of Isaiah 55 1. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. For the grace of God is offered to us because we have nothing. It reminds, you know, it's, it's reaffirmed over and over in the New Testament. I think of Romans 3, chapter, 20, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. That speaks about uh, in 21. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testified, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if we're righteous, because of the grace of God, how does fear fit in? I think we've been used to talking about the grace of God only as positive, no accountability, we're free, and we're just waiting to go to heaven. And sometimes I think that that kind of reduces our involvement in sanctification. That we're in this, these days, we're going through this world with the opportunity and the call to be transformed and changed in our sanctification, to reflect Jesus in our, in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our interactions with people we know. It, we are here to be a demonstration to the world of the kingdom of Christ. We're not just here to wait to get to heaven. And part of that call, that responsibility, is that we will be held accountable to God. So, reverent fear of God is to characterize our life as exiles in the world. Is, this is not fear, though, of condemnation or wrath. But it is a fear of standing in this precious place of grace. So let me, uh, my third point is the fear of God acknowledges the weightiness of our relationship. So what 
Peter is saying, live your life in fear, is a recognition that God has done everything for you. And because of the profound nature of this grace, we must respond. And God so cares about the nature of this grace. It is such an investment on his part that he will ask us, call us to account about our response to the wonder of this grace. Imagine the creator of the universe who called everything in existence sent his son as the most wonderful, profound gift that anyone could receive. And how dare we think I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'll do my stuff. No. That's why Paul lived his life pouring himself out for the work of ministry because he said I've been bought with a price I am not my own the wonder of that gift calls forth everything from us no none of us are perfect in that for sure but we all better be on the road to transforming and asking God over and over and every day in every situation. This is not my life. It is not about my agenda. It is about your life, your kingdom, your agenda. Help me to be yours completely. The weightiness of this relationship. I think what helps us understand this is in the beginning of verse 17. That we might read over rather quickly and miss Peter says, since you call on a father who judges. It's not God. It is God. But it's a deeper relationship than that. Since you call on a father. This is very Christian language. This is what Jesus taught his disciples to say to God when they prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. We are brought into a significant relationship with the creator of the universe. He is our father. And maybe there's a place for fear there. I'll tell you a real quick story about myself. I think I've told this before, but people said I haven't. Um, I I love my father. And it's kind of a, a, a... a kind of a reflection of this relationship, and I hope to draw that out. I love my father. He was a strong, domineering man. I was afraid of my father, though, too. And uh, when I was a teenager, I uh, ran the other way and rejected Christianity and rejected my uh, family and my parents. And there was one day that I came home, I was still living at home, and and my dad was kind of having a debate with me, and I was debating back, you know how those debates go, and I think he raised his fist, ready to punch me. And I remember getting up in my fist, and that kind of started the whole thing. We started going at each other, and I was just trying to stop his punches, and him and I are grabbing each other, and... And uh, my friends are all out in the car in the driveway waiting for us. And they see us go flying across the picture window. And they're like, wow, what's going on out in there? <laughs> and my dad and I were wrestling around in the living room. And I kind of, we got tied up. And I, he couldn't move. And I was kind of holding him. And we stopped. We went and sat down in the kitchen. And we both cried. It was a super important moment. My dad wasn't 
condemning me. But it was a moment of realization. Almost like I've never had, well, except for when I became a believer, almost like I've never had before. I come to realize who I have been, what I have been doing, how I have contributed to the destruction of my relationship with my father. And my father realized what he had done and how he had responded and that we were both broken people. And there was a realization that things went wrong and we contributed to the broken things that happened in our lives. And that's the best way I can understand fear with God. That's the best way I can understand these texts that one day I will face God. It won't be an encounter with judgment and wrath, but it will be an encounter with how did I respond to my gracious heavenly Father with the greatest gift that He could give to anyone and to me And how have I honored him? And Peter is fully aware that that moment will come. He had a moment like that when Jesus met him on the beaches and asked him if he loved him three times. Peter knows that that kind of relationship, that's what's fundamental about our relationship with God. It's not just God up there demanding things and is distant. No, it's a God. He's our Father. He cares deeply about how we live and what we do and our walk with Him and our relationship with Him. And the question is, do we care? Are we walking with Him? Are we being transformed? Are we humble, seeking for His work in us? Are we forgiving? Are we demonstrating a kind of love that is not seen anywhere because it's divine, it's holy, it's from God above? That's the call for us as God's people. So how will we prepare for the day that we will meet God? Peter reminds us, live your days in light of that encounter. My suggestion is don't get caught up in this world. Don't get caught up in your own pursuits. The most important thing that we can pursue is the kingdom of Christ and His glory. And may that impact everything about our lives. May we lay everything on the altar for Him to have His way. Because there is nothing more glorious and more important. Nothing we should anticipate more than that day when we will meet Jesus And give him honor. We must live in a way that prepares us for the day of reckoning. We must add this reverential fear to our understanding of grace. Because we definitely stand in the grace of God. It is not about our performance. But it is about knowing the weightiness of God's gift. May we be shaped by that. In everything we do. Let's pray together. Lord we thank you that you are a God of grace. Lord that you saw us. Go our own way. Reject your plans. Your purposes for us. And we do that every day. Over and over. 
And Lord, you extend your grace and your forgiveness to us as we come to you. But Lord, protect us from ever being obstinate and blind to the wonder of the weightiness of the grace that you have given us and our call to respond with honor and reverence and obedience to Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, that calls for transformation in our lives and everything we do. And Lord, I pray you give us a heart to pursue you with everything we have. Also, depending on your grace to do the work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.